Welcome to the TES FE Podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In this week's Ofsted special, I'm in conversation with National Director FE and Skills, Matthew Coffey. By discussing the second Ofsted annual report. Last year's painted quite a bleak picture of the FE and skills sector. Would you say that things have improved since then? Well, I think uh, I think it's important to say that uh, the Ofsted has been producing annual reports for uh, for, for many years uh, now. But but last year's annual report in relation to further education and skills was, you know, clearly painting a, a fairly bleak picture of, particularly the quality of uh, teaching learning and assessment that we saw and we had had 13 inadequate colleges Uh, so you know that there were some really hard uh, lessons and messages to send out last year this year is 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 a a slightly different picture and I'm really pleased to see that there are some real grounds for optimism it seems clear to me that the sector responded very positively uh, to the criticisms of last year, and we saw a number of different things happening. Well, first of all, we had a we had a new minister and a new response from the government, which was about you know uh, being more responsive where Ofsted does identify uh, areas for weakness. So we saw the introduction of the Further Education Commissioner, for example. Uh, we also saw the the Commission on Adult Vocational. Uh, skills, so we know that the system took this particular issue very seriously. So this year, we're really pleased that um, you know I'm seeing 71% of providers being judged good or outstanding at their last inspection, compared to just 64% last year. So uh, you know we're seeing a seven percentage point increase, which is really positive news. So I'm really pleased that we're going in the right direction, particularly for teaching, learning and assessment and I was delighted that we've got a number of, uh, of outstanding providers. Considering we introduced a new framework as well which targeted much more precisely on teaching, learning and assessment the year after we had criticised it so heavily, a lot of people quite anxious that no provider was ever going to meet the standards that were introduced through the revised common inspection framework. I remained confident that we would see providers that could get it. Um, And clearly, uh, we've had two GFE colleges that have been judged to be outstanding in all of their areas, including teaching, learning and assessment, uh, and a good number overall. So I'm really pleased with the direction of travel. And there's a focus on apprenticeships in the in this report we, we do have a section on apprenticeships and, and the reason we focus on apprenticeships it, I personally am a firm believer that, that the apprenticeship is is absolutely the right uh, direction to go for this country uh, I, I'm a I'm a parent a very proud parent of an apprentice uh, she's doing a, an excellent job and um, I, the, the reason for focusing on it is because I still don't think that we've got it quite right I, I think there's too few young people are able to access an apprenticeship and what I want to be able to see is that when young people are at school they've got choices to make and clearly one of them and maybe a traditional one is through the academic route uh, and into A-levels and then into university 
But I want to see much more in the vocabulary of schools and in the discussions that are happening with, with parents and with pupils that the apprenticeship is equally a, a really high quality route. And some interesting statistics that we're, we're mentioning in this year's annual report is that um, at 63% of young people uh, make up those that apply for an apprenticeship overall but only a quarter of those uh, who start an apprenticeship are from those same groups of young people. That tells me that there's still too many older people that are doing apprenticeships. And what we've got to do is we've got to reverse that trend. We've got to make the apprenticeship accessible to young people uh, so that employers have got the confidence to take young people on, that sufficient numbers of young people understand and are supported by their parents and their schools on the journey to an apprenticeship, and that the apprenticeship then leads to a higher level apprenticeship and maybe onto university, maybe onto a really high flying career. But we've just got to get it right, and I don't think we're getting it 100% right. There's still more that we can do with the apprenticeship framework. You mentioned uh, information, advice and guidance. We've been hearing a lot recently about appropriate information, advice and guidance in schools to ensure that young people are aware of the options, that they're aware of FE as a viable option. What's Ofsted doing to support that? Well, we published a report last year going in the right direction was the question that we posed as the title of the report to look at how schools had implemented the duty that was given to them in September uh, of last year. Um, and of course that duty is about the provision of independent advice and guidance to, to all of their pupils. Uh, the government commissioned us to do it because they wanted to know whether schools were getting it right. And uh, uh, the, the report was very interesting for a number of things. First of all, it told us that collectively and across the board, we're not quite getting it right. Very poor use was being made of uh, the National Apprenticeship uh, website, the National Careers Service uh, portal and the tools that were being afforded to schools just weren't being used and we found it to be ourselves very inaccessible, particularly if you were a teacher wanting to know about all of the different uh, sort of vocational options that are out there and it just wasn't very clear. So we saw all of those things and we reported on them. But equally, we saw some schools, particularly some with six forms as well, where they had embraced their duty and they were doing it very, very well in a number of different ways. You know, employers were a welcome part of the fixtures and fittings of a school and, you know, would very regularly come in and talk to to pupils and teachers really understood that they had a role in making sure that everybody understood that if they took that decision, then that you know, is a possibility that could be opened up to them. And equally, you know, lots of careers events. So it can be done. So I think that's the good news that we should take out of the report. There are a number of recommendations, and I won't go through them all, but, but certainly, you know, the resources that were available to schools needed to be sharper and needed to be much more accessible, and we, we spoke about that in, in the report. But also for Ofsted as well, when we go about, you know, our, our inspections of schools... We, we made a recommendation to ourselves that we would place much more of a spotlight on the information, advice and guidance that was given to pupils as part of their preparation for the next journey of education, training or employment. And, and, and our inspectors are, are doing that now. In last week's podcast, Michelle Sutton, who's, as you know, is AOC president and principal of Bradford College, 
told us about how she wrote to all 26 local secondary schools to ask them to come, and, to come and talk to them and to work more closely with them. Of those 26 secondary schools, four replied, three accepted. So that means 22 schools didn't even bother replying. Mm. Um, I don't feel, and I could be wrong, but from anecdotal evidence that that's an isolated situation... Yeah, and, and these are worrying statistics, and and I think they, you know, sit in line with, uh, with what we found in our our report. Um, so I think you know my advice to Michelle is is the same as would be to any um, uh, college principal or any uh, chief executive of an independent learning provider is that these things don't happen overnight. I think you know what we've got now is an environment. Uh, you know, in this country where everybody recognises there's an issue. And, you know, I, I think I think the Association of Colleges and the AELP, you know, have together raised the profile of the issue and people have heard that there is a problem. So we can do a couple of things. We can, you know, uh, uh, pull together our resources and we can continue to say there is a problem, there is a problem. And we do that with petitions and other org- organised Uh, kind of uh, uh, action that we might collectively take. But actually, for me, I think um, where we see it working well is that determination of, of, you know, college principals and people like Michelle in their position, uh, accepting that you're not going to get everybody overnight. They're not all going to come, you know, and and engage. I mean, I've I've worked for... Uh, for large national training providers in my past history and getting employers around the table is an incredible challenge and we've just got to look at and I'm sure it still is today an incredible challenge but I think you you know the the most successful providers are those that can that with tenacity can continue to use their skills in communicating with others and to get the message across so actually it becomes a real you know, uh, no-brainer to get engaged with the kind of arrangements that, that Michelle is talking about there. So so perseverance, the power of the pen in writing these letters and, and, and getting everybody concerned who is, is a decision-maker. There's a lot of people that can make this, this happen. And actually, recognising that, you know, when I was when my kids were at secondary school, I was a big part of the decision-making process about what they did try and find a way of getting to me, you know, the parents, because parents have got very, very clear views. You have a look at that going in the right direction report. And we were talking about 70% of parents, 70% of parents at secondary school, you know, want their children to go on to an academic route that's A-levels and on to university. Why? Because because that pathway is so clear to them and that's what they understand so i think you know we've got a big job to do it's not just about whether we get head teachers to come along to a particular event it's about the pressure that they feel under in meeting the expectations of the parents that they're serving through educating their children we've got to find a way of you know getting parents engaged and seeing high quality provision and they, it'll be the parents that say i want my son or daughter to do an apprenticeship and if I just rewind us you know three years ago when my daughter decided at a very high performing outstanding school with a very high performing sixth form 
where it was almost a given that children would stay on and go into the sixth form. And when my daughter decided she wanted to do an apprenticeship because her dad had told her how, you know, how positive an experience it would be, you know, I got the call from the school to say, do you know your daughter wants to do an apprenticeship rather than go on to A-levels? Yes, I do know. She's got my full support. And, you know, and, and here we are. She's, she's achieved and she's doing a brilliant job. So I think let's not underestimate the power of the parents. Let's find ways of communicating with them. I'd like to move on to some questions which have been sent to the TES via Twitter. Oh, um, So the, this is, the first one's from Bob Harrison, who asks, do Ofsted have knowledge and appropriate level of understanding to make judgments about technology-enhanced learning? Uh, well, Bob, that's a great question. And um, let, let me tell Bob that, that I did something uh, that I don't think I regret just yet, um, but, but time will tell. On Friday, I joined Twitter. So I've been a bit of an observer of Twitter, but I now have an Ofsted Twitter account. So it's at uh, Ofsted underscore M Coffee. So um, happy for anybody to, to follow me there. I think that technology in learning and to support learning is is really, really valuable and extremely important. And last summer, we, we produced and published an e-portfolio on, on virtual learning. And what I'll try and do today or this week is tweet a link to that 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 whole um, uh, sort of report that we did on virtual learning environments, and it was done by it was led by uh, an HMI called Andy Harris, who's who's kind of one of my leaders in this area on uh, on on learning technology. And of course, you know, uh, as a handsome chap that Andy is, we took the decision not to have Andy delivering all of this, but an avatar to to really support and underline you know, the, the topic that we were talking about. We also use it as an opportunity to share some really good practice of what other providers are doing in this field. I think it's, it's really important. You know, uh, and training my inspectors, because the world changes so quickly, is really important. And, and last month we, we recruited a number of specialist trainers within Ofsted and, you know, technology-based training is important to us as an organisation, but it's important to, for us to understand how they're being developed, you know, out there in the sectors that, that we inspect. The next question comes from Canterbury College Student Union. How confident are you that what inspectors think is outstanding is the same as what students think? Well, first of all, I'm really grateful for the, the Student Union of Canterbury College to, uh, to, to ask a, a question of us. We've got a really good relationship with the National Student Union and, um, of course, we, we engage with them um, uh, uh, really thoroughly at the point that we were developing Learner View. The views of learners on an inspection is such a valuable part of everything that we do, and perhaps a, a you know one of our unique selling points of inspection: the ability to go and observe individual learners, to talk to them individually on inspection, and uh, you know to to uh, engage with them in part of our feedback and our. Uh, our summary of what it is that we're finding but to know their collective views about their provision is really important so we developed learner view which is an online tool which enables learners to give their views on their program at any point in time not just during inspection so you know and anybody can go into learner view and see what the student population or the learner population are thinking and is this something that they're engaging with is they are engaging with, with i mean the last time i looked and it 
must have been over uh, a week ago now. Uh, we had 71,000 learners that had given their responses to Learn of You. And we did it in such a way that you can do it via a smartphone. It's not app-based, but you can do it via a smartphone or a PC and, and whatever. And we're very aware of the security you know, concerns around there. And I think you know, we've got a very clear protocol of how we deal with security issues. But there are some you know, providers uh, on, on the Learner View where you know, 75% of the learner population have taken the time to give us the views. And I use this information in a number of different ways. I certainly use it on inspection. So, you know, to come back to the question, how, how confident am I that, that what inspectors think is outstanding is the same as what students think? Well, we always look and see what students think for a start right. is, the, is the simple answer to the question. So I use it on inspection, but I also use it when I'm thinking about, you know, who am I going to inspect? And I can look at providers, I can look and see particularly you know, what it is that learners are saying. And if there is a declining trend in what learners' views are, then that might be an indication for me to go and inspect that provider. Also, it helps me when planning an inspection to, you know, look at what themes are on there. We ask, we ask a number of questions and, you know, one of them is, would you recommend this provider to your friends and whatever? But there's, you know, lots of nuanced questions in there about, you know, what kind of feedback do you get to help you improve? You know, what's the level of, uh, how hard are the assignments that you're, uh, you, you, you're, you're given, for example? So LearnerView is a very powerful tool developed, you know, uh, with lots of learners as part of our our program of development, and I'm really pleased that the uh, the student union is asking us questions about that because it's so important. The next question is from the Knowledge Observatory. How are subject teachers supposed to teach English and maths to level two when students haven't achieved in school? Well, I think that you know this is this is such an important area, and the the poor quality of English and maths provision is also a feature in this year's annual report it's one of my key priorities we've got seven priorities as the national director for further education and skills and and my uh, and, and english and maths is absolutely up there um, I, I think that alison wolf's recommendations that english and maths should continue to 19 is absolutely the right thing to do um, but i do accept and acknowledge that you know if students have been failed uh, through 11 years of education, then the expectation on further education providers is really high. So I acknowledge it's a high level of expectation. But what I also see is that, you know, the clarity of expectation is now there, whereas it wasn't before. The study programme really helps to give us that level of clarity about, you know, every learner has, has got to continue to be supported to gain a level two. And when we talk about failing at school, I think, you know, we do have this mental picture of, of, of young people who just simply, you know, are illiterate and innumerate. And I think that, you know, that just isn't the case. I think there's a lot of students that, that you know, went through school and, and got a D or an E in English and mathematics. And I think, therefore, you know, for them to come along, to be, to, for the further education system to be funded, to support, to get them to a good grade you know, is a different ask than the one that says take somebody who's illiterate and enumerate and get them to A star in English and math. So let's just be clear about the I scale of the problem, I think. I think there are degrees of literacy, though. Absolutely. I, mean, I teach functional skills Absolutely. English, so I have a, I'm in the classroom seeing some of these young people of who have done I, 11 years. And, and I've seen them and I've taught them myself. Don't know 
the basics yeah. of the which is really really um, it, it is and i think you know there's there's really so many there's so many perverse incentives in all of this you know what i don't want to see is is further education providers screening out those who you know aren't at a level two because mm. it's a key measure that would be that that would be scandalous if we allowed that to happen because part of the point of functional skills is making helping young people be functional Absolutely in their own right. lives as well as in and i as think well that you know em- if we employment. were to see an approach that said well all we're going to do in fe is you know get reset after reset after reset until somebody gets a grade c again i think that that's that's really not going to be the way forward we need to be developing the skills in learners uh, which are the skills that employers are telling us that they want to achieve so you know i think there is a challenge for the government back to make sure that the gcse in english and maths has got sufficient elements of functionality within it that are going to be valuable to employers employers say no so you know let's review those as i know the government is at this moment in time but i think you know now we've got the clarity in fe i don't doubt for one minute that it's a, a significant challenge but if if developing functional skills to level two and uh, in English and mathematics is going to get people to a job and a sustainable job, then it's right that we take on board this challenge. Um, moving on to the next question, uh, this is from Julian Brearley, who asks, when will all inspections be unannounced as they obviously should be? Ah. This is Julian's question. So my question to you, in addition to that, is should they be? Well, I mean, there's, there's a number of interesting uh, uh, factors here because we, we tested the unannounced, as you will know, and we went to six different inspections and they, it was genuinely and truly unannounced. What we did see was some really good uh, and outstanding teaching and that's because the teachers, you know, hadn't had three weeks of anxiety about what the inspectors might be looking for. So there's a lesson in here, actually, for all of us. And that's for us, for Ofsted, to be clear that we're not looking for a set lesson in any way way shape or form you know it can be it can be delivered in so many different ways and I I just remember going on one myself and seeing a you know teacher stood on a chair and doing some fantastic things and we walked in the room and and they felt the need to instantly sit down because Ofsted wouldn't want that to happen we were just blown away with you know how everybody was in awe of what you know was clearly learning so there's a lesson in that for all of us Um, will it ever be unannounced Uh, If I can find a logistical way of doing it so that I get to to employers, I've got to be able to get to see learners. And, of course, learners can be spread around, you know, hundreds of miles radius and countryside, working with employers as they should be. And I've got to be able to find a way of getting to them. And, And the worry for me is that if we went overnight to unannounced inspections, then you know the inspection teams would find it easier just to sit at the head office or the main campus and not go out and see learners. So I think that we've got a really decent compromise here. You know, we've got two days. It seems to be working really well. Providers tell me they like it. Teachers tell me they like the shorter notice. Um, so I'm not minded at this moment in time to continue to push it. Uh, but but maybe one day, if I can find the logistics to make it work, then then I will. The next question's from Dr. Matt O'Leary who asks, as a publicly funded agency, is it not time that Ofsted allowed external scrutiny of its methods of assessment? Uh, Well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, Yes, we are a a publicly funded agency. Uh, We're a non-ministerial public department and we're answerable uh, to Parliament. Um, And so, you know, you would have seen me last 
February being held to account as a public body uh, at, at the Education Select Committee along with the Chief Inspector. So there's a level of public accountability uh, in that for sure. Another level of public accountability is what we're, what we're, um, we're publishing on uh, this week, which is our, our Chief Inspector's annual report, so people can see what we've said and what we challenge. Uh, <clears throat> at an institutional level, of course, everybody has got the right to make a complaint about Ofsted, and there is a degree of independence within that as well. So, you know, the first stage is to, is to discuss your concerns with your inspector. Uh, the second stage is for, to have it independently uh, reviewed by another inspector. And I know that causes some anxiety about how independent is it. Uh, then there's a third stage to make sure that the processes have been right. And then there's a fourth stage, which is, you know, the independent adjudicator, somebody who's not employed by Ofsted at all, um, uh, uh, who, who will scrutinise all that we've done. And then, of course, you know, there's the courts and people can, can go down that road. All of these things are processy things. <laughs> the heart of it all is transparency. And I, I, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I think, you know, representing Ofsted for a good number of years, I think that we are a very transparent organisation. You know, I, I actually train the nominees, the people uh, that we're inspecting are, are all asked to nominate somebody who will form part of the inspection team. And my commitment to them is to train them so that they can challenge us more effectively and that all of our evidence is presented to people so that, you know, before we make our judgments, people can very openly see, you know, the evidence on which we're basing those important judgments. I think that's transparency. I think that's the way to go. And I think we absolutely should be transparent. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you very much. This has been the final TES FE podcast for 2013 with me, Sarah Simons. We'll be back in the new year, but in the meantime, thanks for listening and have a very Merry Christmas. Christmas.